here at Calvary. And uh, if I always look around and just sprinkle up college students, other places that I don't know, I would love to know you. If you're not a college student, I don't really, no, I do care about you too, of course. Um, I, uh, uh, I love all the folks here at Calvary. Uh, I love focusing in on the college ministry, love that ministry. Um, I really like the passage we're looking at today. Uh, I put my bucket down that well before. The last few nights, though, every night I've been waking up in the middle of the night just rolling this passage over in my mind. And knew I, I go, oh, man, I hope I remember that in the morning. And uh, I've been writing down in the morning what I've been seeing. And so I'm really thankful for it. So if you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 2 and uh, pull it up on your phone. Grab a Bible in front of you. Um, just would love for us to really dig into this passage. It's about weddings. It's about Jesus and his first miracle. And um, I love weddings. And as a college pastor, I actually get to do uh, quite a few weddings. And I'm thankful for that. And um, I, uh, but the scary part, it's one thing to do the wedding, but the scary part, three weddings I've done, not only have I conducted the wedding, I have been the father of the bride. Now, that's just stinking scary. You know, you don't know if you're going to cry all over the place. Uh, you know, you're going to hold it together. Sometimes I, did, for the most part, I did pretty well. Now, I have to admit, on the second wedding, uh, I got a little cocky. Man, things were going so smooth. Man, I was here early. Gina was happy. My wife was happy. Uh, everything was going so smooth. And I remember going by Dan's office thinking, he has things going on. I may take a nap. I got this, I mean, I got this wedding down, you know. And so I, the last thing I did was pull her car around to the back because they were going to leave in that car. And I remember locking and the mechanism broke. I mean, not, it didn't, I mean, I called AAA, and they came out and started scratching their head going, hmm, I don't know what we're going to do about this, you know, and all their stuff was in there, you know, and I was so humbled, I was so, I, unexpected things, I don't care how well you plan, I don't care what you do, unexpected things are going to happen. Well, that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in John, John chapter 2, um, an unexpected thing happens in Cain. So we're going to read the, the, the text, and then we're going to go come back and go verse by verse, okay? So John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And the master of the feast tasted the water, now had become wine, and he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
This is the first of the signs Jesus did in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. All right, let's get, jump back up to verse 1. And first of all, it says, on the third day. On the third day. Now, this probably points back to verse 41, 43 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So we're thinking that this on the third day is really how long it took Jesus and his disciples to travel to Cana. And it says, and it says um, that the wedding was, uh, it, it was a wedding. Now, a wedding, we've got to keep in mind that a wedding that we have is normally going to last three or four hours maybe. More than a couple hours, counting the reception and everything that goes on. In this day and time, people traveled from such great distances, it was a week, could be up to a week. And there was a lot going on. And to not properly provide for the guests was a great social misstep. So, uh, we see the, the wedding garments. We've got to keep that in mind. Next, we see that it was that it says... Uh, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. Now, I put a map up here behind me uh, that helps you kind of see where that is. It's directly west of uh, the Sea of Galilee, just take west, and it's about seven and a half miles north of Nazareth. And so, one of the things we really make a mistake of, uh, if you think the distance is so great, and really distances in that day and time aren't like what they are, but it is just north of Nazareth, next to the Sea of Galilee, you kind of see where Cana is. All right? If you're taking notes, the first thing that I'd like you to write down is the great decision, a great decision that was made. It says in verse 2, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, we don't know if Jesus knew the bride or the groom or the mother was good friends with the bride and groom. But Jesus was also invited to the wedding. And I sometimes think at that first anniversary that the bride and groom were sitting around and they were going, you know, after everything's said and done and all the unexpected needs, the greatest decision that we made was to invite Jesus to be part of our lives on that day. And I'm here to say to you, for us to stop right now, the greatest decision that you will make is what you do with Jesus. You will do something with Jesus. I remember us in our three weddings sitting and going, okay, we're not very close to those folks. Those are like the cousin of the cousin of the cousin of the cousin. You know, we're not going to invite them. You know, we had to make a decision on that person or that group of people, yes or no. Let me tell you something. You, will, you do have to do something with Jesus Christ. You have to make a decision. And to not commit, to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ it is, a, is a no decision. And I, you know, an amazing thing that I, I've discovered about my relationship with the Lord, I did not come seeking the Lord. I was dead in my transgressions. God came to find me. And if you are in the faith, it is not because of your, I became so aware of my spiritual condition. No, God sought you out. And he made available to you the understanding of the gospel. He helped you to understand it and bring you to a place where you did something whether to invite him or not to invite him to be part, to follow him or not to follow him. For me, 
It happened many years ago. It happened 41 years ago this past spring. And I went down to a little place out in East Knoxville, a little, little field. It was after a Calvary church service. I went out there and I said, you know, Lord, if you're there and I think you are, or, you know, I've been raised in church, I've got to make a decision what to do with you. And I invited Christ into my life. It was the greatest thing I ever did. And if you are, are at that place of decision and what to do with Jesus, the greatest thing you can do is to invite him into your life. What well, was amazing, I'd not been back to that field in 38 years. About three years ago, I went back to that field. And I walked into that field, and I just sat there, and that field was still there. And I just, you know, just I was overcome with emotion and thankfulness of how God had walked with me through tragedy and through hills, mountaintops and valleys. I want to tell you, Jesus is the best thing in this world. And if you are on the edge, I was on the edge, and I was 17 years old. I went, man, I'm 17 years old. I, got, I know I don't want to go to hell. I know I don't want that, but do I really want somebody else driving and controlling my life? Let me tell you, the greatest thing I did, I finally, God gave me this wisdom of saying, you know, if the God that loved me enough to die for me and live for me and to be spit upon and not call the, the angels of heaven down to just obliterate humanity, if he would do that, the best thing I could do is give my life to him. And that's what I did. I gave him control and I invited him to come in and be in control of my life. And I tell you, that was the best decision I made 41 years ago. But the greatest decision I made this past week was to invite Jesus to be part of my daily life. If all of you are thinking about, well, when I was seven or when I was nine or when I was at that youth camp, I invited Jesus. Let me tell you, it is a daily decision to invite Jesus to be part of your life. And he wants to be part of your life. And he wants to bring out the best out of your life. And, and to invest in your life. And that comes from, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take your Bible and turn over to Luke chapter 9. Jesus is very blatant in Luke chapter 9 about what he's inviting his, uh, his disciples to do. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If anyone, I love the anyone. If you're, if you're here and an anyone, yeah, you are an anyone. You are an anyone. If anyone would come after me, and there's a lot of things out there yelling, come after me, aren't there? There's a lot of voices out there. When I was in high school, there was a lot of voices saying, come after me. When I became an adult, there was a lot of voices saying, come after me. When I was married and children, there's a lot of voices saying, come after me. But there was only one voice worth following with total dedication, and it was Jesus. If anyone would come after me... Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And then this next word, what is it? Daily. It is a daily invite. Is it a daily walk with the Lord? We need to daily make a decision to follow the Lord and follow him. Are you doing that? If not, maybe your decision today, maybe your decision today is to follow Jesus for the very first time. You've been to church. I've been to church many, many times. But maybe your decision is that initial invite, that initial saying, Lord, I know I've got a religion. I, we, we were on campus this week. We, 
uh, a bunch of our students and the BCM students, we did 120 surveys on Thursday, just having spiritual conversations, 120 surveys in four hours. And just talking to people about where they were and what they were following and what they were doing. And it was so interesting, some of the uh, guys, um, you're going to follow something. What are you going to follow? What are you, what are you going to decide? The second thing, let's go back to John chapter 2, is the uh, idea of unexpected needs. So they were at the wedding. They had been invited. In verse 3 it says, when the we- it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. Um, we don't know whose fault it was. You know, was it the groom's fault? Was it, uh, usually it's the daddy of the, of the bride's fault, you know, and usually it's him. You know, and, and did he not order enough? Did some guy in the back, as he was carrying out, trip over it and fall into the case and everything busted? It was that guy, it was one of the servants' fault. We don't know. But unexpected needs do happen. I will tell you, I was right here when I'm, I was standing here years ago when I, I, an unexpected, and I was right here, and there were Matt and Julia James. Well, is Matt and Julia Fall? Is that right? Yeah, Julia Fall. That name just came to her. That was her maiden name. Matt and Jinx and Julia Fall. And they were so beautiful, so wonderful. They were just so nice and everything. We came to the point and the little ring bearer was there and he was holding a pillow with a little ring there. Everything was perfect. There was plenty of, there was plenty of everything. You know, things were just moving along great. All of a sudden, this little boy got in his mind that he needed to take that pillow and hit Julia. And he just started whacking her and hitting her and just, you know, having the best time. I mean, Matt was horrified. You know, the mother was even more horrified of the little boy, the nephew. And, uh, and I'm just sitting there going, what do I do? You know, what do I do? And so I got him in a headlock. No, I, uh, I didn't do that. Uh, I think the mom came and got him, you know. Well, that was, that was the little boy's fault. Sometimes things happen, it's somebody else's fault. Sometimes, you know, sometimes things happen to us that uh, it's somebody else's fault. Sometimes things happen to us that are our fault, that totally our fault. We are the ones uh, that made a decision. But sometimes you get that call from the doctor, it's nobody's fault. But unexpected needs will arise in your life. Now, here's the big idea of this. This is one of the ones I woke up in the middle of the night. Here's the need. Here's the big need, right? So you become aware of the need. They became aware of the need. You know? They became aware of this huge need. You know what I do a big part of the time? I'll go run to the need. I grab the need. I look at the need. I inspect the need. I figure out what I'm going to do with the need. How am I going? I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get down. I'm going to figure out. and I'm going to fix this need. You know what, Mary? Mary was the one that had the sense to say, you know, instead of running to the need, won't you run to Jesus? Won't you walk over to Jesus and let the Lord and the master of the universe come up with a strategy of meeting your need? Now, which one are you doing with the needs that you have in your life? Are you running? Are you rolling up your sleeves? Are you fixing the need? Are you running to Jesus and say, Master, I don't know how you're going to fix this need, but instead of me just like cringing and cowering in fear at this need, I'm going to run to you and ask you to meet this need. 
I'm afraid too many times I'm just hanging out with the need and not running to Jesus. Let's go back to the verse. Then something kind of interesting happens. It says, and Jesus said to her, he said, they have no mind. He says that to Jesus. Mary says that to Jesus. They have no mind. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And there's a lot of different theories on why he meant. I just think it makes more sense. He was not ready to reveal himself as God. And he, didn't, he wasn't ready to, it wasn't his hour yet. I think that's what he was saying. That's my personal opinion. There's others. But then, I, the next thing is the great advice. Verse 5. I love this. It says, his mother said to his servants, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I don't know about you. I like that advice. Do whatever Jesus tells you. In fact, I want to take that and put it on big font and stick it on my ceiling and duct tape it up there so that I have access to that advice. How about you? Do whatever Jesus tells you. Because I wake up in the middle of the night and I, I start thinking about what I need to do about that. What am I going to do about that? What if that happens? And I start running scenarios. You know what I'm saying? I start running scenarios. One thing I have found, there, are no, there is no grace for scenarios. What if that happens? Or what if that, there's grace when something happens? That's when God gives the grace. But if I can just simply wake up and, you know, if I start worrying, if I could just flick on the light and look at it and say, do whatever he tells you to do. When he tells you to do it, do it. Or if something happens in, you know, in the middle of the day, I can run home, I can just look at that. Do what, let me ask you a question. Will you commit yourself today to simply doing whatever Jesus tells you to do? Yeah. Thoughts? Great advice. Let's look at the next verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rituals of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, he tells them to do three things. Fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and, and take it to the master to feast. So they were to do one, uh, fill the jars, draw some out, and take to the master of the banquet. Now, the thing about number two, the drawing out, he said it says draw some out. It wasn't really measurable. Draw some out. You choose. Draw some out. Take it to the master. We can taste it. The third one was take it to the master. Well, that, again, that's just either yes or no. But the first one is where he says fill, they fill the jars with water. Now, notice what they do. And this is the part that I love. It says there in verse 7, it says fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Don't you love it? They had those, I mean, these are big stone water jars, too. It took effort, and a lot of time, obedience, God's going to put you where obedience is not just a snap. It's going to be something that's going to take effort. And can't you see those guys that say, okay, we've got, they get over there, and then they pour it, and they go, okay, that's good enough. One of the guys going, that's good enough. No, that's not good enough. Let's keep going. That, okay, now, we're, not, we're 95% there, guys. Okay, this is heavy, my back, you know. Now go another guy. Somebody said, no, let's keep filling it to the brim. Jesus deserves brim obedience. 
Let me ask you a question in your life right now. This past week, were you saying, Lord Jesus, I want to have grim obedience. You tell me to do anything, I'm there. Not only am I going to show up, I'm not going to look to the world at its expectation of what to do. I'm looking to you, and I'm, I'm going to keep pouring. I'm going to keep filling up to the brim. That's, that's, my, that's my goal. That's my decision to do that. If you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You see, the, the Word of God tells us a lot of what we're supposed to do. You ever been in a place where you had to forgive somebody? Somebody just ticked you off? Somebody just made you mad? And you're ready just to, you know, with that old nature comes out? And you, that, you know, and God says, steps in and says, I want you to forgive them. Hey, I don't want you to lust. I don't want you to push that, push that computer button. I don't want you to do that. Hey, I want you to do that. Oh, it could be a thousand different things. Sometimes it's in the the Word of God gives us so many commands. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit just impresses things on our heart that we should or shouldn't do. Look at John chapter fourteen. I love this. I want you to notice. I want you to notice the verbiage in each of it. Look at chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. If you love me. You will keep my commandments. Motivated by what? Your commandment, your commitment, your brim obedience is motivated by what? Love. If you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, obeying God and doing the things of God are going to be so hard. But if if you dig down and love the Lord Jesus, let me tell you something. Doing things for my wife, Gina, is so easy because I love her. It's not hard. Love is the motivator. Look at verse 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love that. And look at, look at the last verse, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Here's the deal. Are you obeying God in all the areas of your life? And is your obedience uh, motivated by love? That is the one that's going to make it instead of a a checklist. It's going to be a joy to do it. I want to show you this quote out of the practice of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He said this. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Guys, do you love Jesus? If you are, you're going to begin just to obey him and not only the word of God and the the very things and also the things that God puts on your heart. Let's look at one more. Let's look at the last thing, and that's what the water to wine results. We're back over at John chapter 2. We're down at verse 8. Let's look at this. Well, and he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So he took. they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So here in the ASV, you have the poor wine, and you have this very good wine. 
I like the NIV. The NIV puts it like this. And I think we have that for you. And it says, and instead, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And here's the big idea. If you love Jesus and you invite him in to be part of your life, he will take whatever things are in your life, and if you allow him to control it, he can turn your water to wine. And he will not give you a half a glass. He will not give you, that's pretty good wine, that's okay wine. He will, he will give you the best. And think about it. The, he is the only one. The God of the universe is the only one that can give you the best. Would you do that? Would you, would you allow, would you give him your hopelessness? You know, in counseling and dealing with individuals in the, during the week, I, I find people that are, find themselves in hopelessness or confusion, despair, addictions, so many things in our life that are just so, in this world, so calm and so watery. But if we bring those things and say, Lord Jesus, this is this need in my life. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. But all of a sudden, it's, it's right there in front of me. If instead of running to that need, we'll run to the Lord Jesus, he will touch it and he will rearrange it. And he will do something that other people will be talking about. In fact, that brings us to our last verse, verse 11. It says, this is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And two things happen when Jesus gets to touch your water and make it wine. Two things always happen when Jesus has his way in our life. Two things happen when we are brim obedient. First, and manifested his glory. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Galilee and manifested his glory. When you are obedient to the Lord Jesus and he does a miracle in your life and then you go back into your social network and all of a sudden people go, well, how did you, aren't you this one that was always doing that or always under that weight? Or, well, aren't you the one that was always, wasn't you the one, I remember your marriage was a wreck. What, what happened? Well, you see, I gave that over to Jesus, and Jesus came up with a strategy, and he touched that need, and he, and he gave it back to me. He gave me the best now. And you see, he deserves glory because he manifested his glory in my situation, and I want you to know about Lord. God gets glory when you give him your unexpected needs and let him touch it. Does that make sense? And the second thing here, not only does that happen, people put their faith in Jesus. Look at this. And his disciples believed in him. Now, this is what woke me up. Might have been last night. It wasn't, and those that did not know him believed in him. <laughs> His disciples believed in him. His disciples, who had already been followers of Christ, sat there and went, oh, wait a minute. And see, that's what happens when God shows up for Kathy or for Colby or or for Melissa, or for one of 
when God shows up for you, and I'm sitting back there going, and you tell me what God did in your life and how he turned your water to wine, I, I'm a follower of Christ, but I begin to believe in him even more. I can trust him even more. And God gets glory, and we believe in him just a little bit more deeply. It's a beautiful thing. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you are this I don't know where you are today. But I can guarantee that we have all unexpected need. Your greatest need today, if you've come here as a non-believer, as a non-Christian, whether you've been in church all your life, like I was, or whether this is all new to you, your greatest need is the Lord Jesus Christ. To come and to confess your sin and to turn and to follow him by faith. But if you're here as a believer and you've got something going on in your life, today is the day for you to stop running to that need and start running to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, would you come up with a strategy of meeting my need, meeting my depression, meeting my addiction, meeting my marriage problems? Would you come up with an issue of dealing with this self-centeredness and this living for me lifestyle? Lord, would you come and touch my watery life and make it into something that will bring you glory and will draw others to more, a deeper trust in you. Lord God, I don't know how you want to deal with us today, but God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for waking me up at night and showing me something new. And I think your word is so deep. Would you just work in our hearts and draw us closer to yourself? Lord Jesus, you are worthy of everything we can give you today. These steps will be open. I invite you to stand and just just to pray pray where you are. I invite you to stand where you are. And if you want to come or to kneel, if you want to sing or whatever you want to do, the main thing is move over to Jesus. Would you stand? And let's do that now. Come, pray, sing, just mosey up next to Jesus.